Hello there, and welcome to the SLP Now podcast, where we share practical therapy tips and ideas for busy speech-language pathologists. Grab your favorite beverage and sit back as we dive into this week's episode. Hi there, and welcome to the SLP Now podcast. I am so excited to be introducing our guest today, uh, Nina Reeves will be answering a bunch of our, the questions that you guys have submitted uh, related to navigating bullying with students who stutter. Um, and I have read her books and uh, resources on this, and I know she's going to share so many amazing tips with us. And I think this might even apply to other students on our caseload. Um, so definitely listen in. Um, and a little bit about Nina. She is a board-certified specialist in fluency disorders, and she is also a staff fluency specialist for Frisco ISD and a fluency specialist consultant for the San Diego Unified Schools. Um, she's a nationally recognized workshop presenter in the area of fluency disorders and is an author of several amazing clinically-based <laughs> materials. And she is the co-owner of Stuttering Therapy Resources, and she's also a recipient of numerous awards, including the Ash Foundation Van Haddam Award for Outstanding Contributions to the Public Schools. And most recently, she's also the recipient of the ASHA Certificate of Recognition for Special Contributions in Preschool through Grade 12 Education Settings. So she is definitely a well-established expert in the world of fluency and has made so many amazing contributions to the field. And I cannot wait for her to share her wisdom with us when it comes to working with students and navigating bullying. Um, so before we jump in, Nina, can you tell us a little bit how you started on this journey and how you came to be such a, an expert in this area of fluency? Oh, well, that's a tangled web. <laughs> um, first of all, thanks for having me on. I'm really excited to be back with you. Um, uh, we've done some things in the past and I've always really enjoyed them. Uh, the how did I come to learn? Well, it was purely accidental. Um, I, uh, I actually had speech therapy when I was a child. I had a cleft palate. And so I had a speech therapist from the time I was three years old all the way through eighth grade. Um, and I knew I was going to be a speech therapist when I was like seven or eight years old, maybe nine. <laughs> I knew my career choice. But of course, I was going to work with orofacial anomalies and I was going to work in cleft palate world. Um, but, you know, the universe has different choices sometimes. And after I graduated, um, I went to work in a small rural school districts of Illinois and met my first um, actual student who stutters, who wasn't just in a clinic. And um, I knew after very little bit of time that I didn't know enough and that I was only doing a small bit of good for this young man and he needed me to know a lot more about what I was doing. And so um, I, I did a lot of self-study and a lot of jumping in and getting involved in the stuttering community and being a part of the National Stuttering Association and going to Stuttering Foundation workshops and reading everything I could. And then I started to hang around with people who were really smart in this area as well. And uh, it's just been a complete 
professional learning um, all of my career, but uh, I'm very passionate about this, uh, this area of our field. That is such an amazing story. Like I got some goosebumps. <laughs> um, so cool. Uh, thank you so much for sharing that. Um, and so let's just dive into all the nitty gritty details. Uh, can you break down a little bit for us? Like what's the difference between bullying and teasing? Um, mm. And if, like just a little bit of the research and what that tells us about bullying for students who stutter. Oh, it's it's very fascinating. Um, these are things that um, when my co-authors and I were putting together our our guides for minimizing bullying, um, it was it was interesting to me that how much people use the words bullying and teasing interchangeably, but they are very different from each other in the way that um, and as the um, the researchers and the professionals in this area, like Tatum. Um, has a great book from 1989 who really sort of defined for us that, you know, teasing is sort of that harmless, let me call it banter, you know, from family and friends. Um, Everyone is having fun. You know, everybody's in on the joke. It's just a little, you know, kind of pushing everybody's buttons, but nothing that is meant to be hurtful. Um, Bullying, on the other hand, is uh, defined as a conscious effort um, to harm someone. Okay. Um, that is where, you know, if some, if somebody's quote unquote teasing, but someone's feelings are being hurt, then they're bullying. They're no longer teasing. And that's something that our students, our young people have a hard time figuring out. Oh, I was just teasing you. They'll say, but you know what? You keep doing that and you know that I'm hurt by it. Now you're bullying me. And it's a fine line, but it's a definitive line. And so if, if not everybody's having fun and then on the joke, it's bullying. Yeah, that's really helpful. Yeah. And, you know, Barbara Colarusso um, did, uh, you know, a, like a quintessential book in 2008. And I love the way she describes the people that are involved in this dynamic. There's the bully, the bullied, and the bystander because there's three players in this act. <laughs> um, and in, in, in the common ground kind of way, bullies are trying to gain that power, okay? They're trying to put others down to gain some sense of power. Um, the bullied is a, you know, a, a, a person who stands out in some way. Something about this person stands out in some way, and so they can become a target. And... What's most interesting to me is the bystanders. Um, These are all of us in the circle um, who either um, are part of the bullying episode because we either encourage the bully, um, we join in with the bully and become a bully ourselves, um, or in that instance, or we ignore. And by simply ignoring you know, when bystanders ignore what's going on, they're part of the problem and not the solution. And I think when she described that, I thought, wow, you know, lots of us fall into all three of those categories from our young years, I believe. (laughs) I can remember times in grade school where I might have fallen into every one of those categories. And um, I think it's something for us to really think about and help our students understand. Yeah, and that's such an important 
uh, element to think about that the bystanders are part of that. It's not just because we typically focus on the person, the bully and the person being bullied. Mm -hmm. um, But that bystander perspective is so important. And I, because I've used that, uh, that guide that you wrote. um, And I thought a lot of the suggestions in there focused actually on the bystanders, which was really interesting. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, the research will tell us that that's where we can do a lot of work, you know, as a, in a social movement, you know, we do want to try to help the bullies. Yes. But that's in speech pathology world, not our deal. That's not our wheelhouse Um, for, for the most part, we need to help bullies understand the disorder of stuttering um, in some ways, because sometimes bullying is about ignorance. Um, but if there's a chronic bullying um, from a child, then sometimes that's part of a counseling world um, that we can pair up with um, to help the bully. For certain, we're helping the bullied, and I'll get into some of the research about how much uh, children who stutter are bullied. Um, but the bystander, as you said, we write a lot about that part of it, and Barbara Colarusso was, you know, um, she was a big proponent of this. We can make a lot of progress with the bystanders because these are the um, the students who, if given you know five minutes alone with a child who stutters, they would never bully the child. But when they're in the bystander mode, they don't want to get picked on by the bully, so they join in or they just do nothing because they're fearful or they don't know what to do, so they don't do anything. And it's um, moving with them how, you know, how they can support a a child who stutters or any child on our caseloads um, to, you know, help them know the right things to do and to become part of that student's support system. We can make some good end roads. Yeah, I love that. And it just made, because I was I reached towards that resource when I was struggling with a couple of different students on my own caseload. Mm-hmm. And it was just that approach was so incredibly helpful. So I'm excited oh. to like talk a little bit more about that as we go through. Um, but before we dive into those components, can you tell us a little bit about the research um, for students who stutter mm-hmm. and bullying? Yes, for sure. It's not going to be a surprise to anyone, you know, be, that has worked with students who stutter, that clinically and, that, and anecdotally, we already know and feel that they get bullied at a higher rate than most of the other kids that we know. Um, well, not all of them, but most. And so the research bears that out. Like Langevin and her colleagues, um, they do a lot of work in this area. And so um, they talk about the fact that um, just in some of their research, about 60%, and this is the general population of students in elementary school, um, report being occasionally bullied. 60%, with 15% of them reporting some chronic bullying at least once a week. Um, And um, for children who stutter, um, 59% um, in one of Langevin's studies showed that 59% of children who stutter were bullied about their stutter chronically. So like that difference between the 15% of general 
elementary school students reporting chronic bullying and almost 60% of children who stutter reporting some chronic bullying about their stuttering. And so I, I know we should all say, <laughs> whoa. Um, yeah. um, and it comes in many forms. I mean, the research shows that it comes, you know, verbally um, and physically, it can escalate to physical and that relational bullying, which is where, you know, a lot of, um, a lot of my stories from childhood come in where, um, there would be uh, one student maybe setting other students against a young child who stutters, um, trying to get uh, the sort of the mob mentality. So that's where our bully and our bystanders come in. Um, and then, of course, there's cyberbullying, which is, you know, a bigger and bigger problem all the time. And all of this bullying um, leads to the psychological literature that points to diminished self-worth diminished educational performance, uh, a large increase in social rejection, a feeling of being rejected socially, which of course leads to increased depression. And then there's the withdrawal and the helplessness feeling. Um, and that's just, you know, generally, and for children who stutter, that increased isolation, and then that, that feedback that your stutter is bad, and so that increases the negative feelings about stuttering, which then increases avoidances of stuttering and avoidances of communication overall, which feeds back into the withdrawal and the isolation. And it's just this, you know, cycle that can become um, really hard to break and really destructive to the self-esteem um, and the communication of kids who stutter. Yeah, that definitely does not sound like a good cycle. Um, and so now we're acutely aware of the impact that this has on students. Um, and I'm sure that we all were aware of this already, but it sometimes can be really helpful to put some numbers on it and to, because I, I was pretty um, blown away by that statistic that 59% of children who stutter report chronic stuttering. Um, or bullying, mm -hmm. which is um, pretty, that's pretty intense. Um, so let's talk about what we can do to help these students or to potentially kind of do something around the bullying that's happening. Um, so where would you suggest, because maybe we can talk about what we can do first mm -hmm. with the students. That would be great. I think that um, I'm going to piggyback on what you just said, though, um, to lead us into what we can do as professionals and as speech therapists. Um, you know, it's important to have those numbers because one of the things that happens is that, duh, bullies don't bully in front of us. And kids who stutter don't always report the bullying. So I'm off, you know, doing consultations and I'm working in my district and, and people are going, oh, I don't think he's bullied or he doesn't report any bullying. And I, I, I bristle at that because I wonder how many times we've gotten into the discussion, how often, how we've done it, have we done it in a way that allows the child to feel safe reporting it to us? Um, you know, just because it hasn't been seen doesn't mean it hasn't happened. You know, it's about the bus, the bathroom, the 
cafeteria and the playground. And those are not places where speech pathologists are, where usually teachers are. Um, you know, there's a lot of staff and then there's a lot of places where staff isn't at all. And these are the places and the times when children are bullied because, you know, kids who bully are smart enough to know that they shouldn't do it in front of an adult. So that those statistics are really helpful for us to say, oh my gosh, wow, I really should um, look at this and say, even if I haven't heard it or seen it or um, had it reported to me, maybe I need to be diving into this part of this child's existence and seeing what we can dig up. So um, I guess that would be part of one of our roles. <laughs> um, but I, I'm going to kind of go through five roles that I think we have um, as speech pathologists and try, you know, to um, congeal the information as much as I can. Um, you're going to hear my, my most passionate one first. Um, I call it a message makeover because I think the number one thing and the other, the other four things I'm going to talk about are going to fall under this. But the most important thing we can do to help diminish bullying, to decrease it, I don't know that we can eliminate it, but, you know, if wishing were to make it so, <laughs> but it, the number one thing I think we can do to minimize bullying for children who stutter is to overarchingly change the message surrounding stuttering. Okay. I think that we have to stop sending the message either intended or otherwise that fluent speech is a gold standard of communication. I want to sit with that for a second. Okay. No matter where you were trained, no matter what you learned in, you know, 1979, um, it's important to think that the world has changed and I hear too many times the praises for fluency. Oh, isn't it wonderful? He didn't stutter at all. Okay. I hear the corrections of stutters. You know, oh, that one was, um, you know, tight. Let's try it again easy. These are things that can send a message to our students that they are doing something wrong. Okay, and I think that we have to be very careful. And I'm going to talk about that, you know, because we do have to walk a line of helping students um, communicate in an easier way, but not drive the fluency train. Um, and I, what I mean by that is that, you know, this is a neurologically based disorder. And I'm going to go into a slight bit of hyperbole. So here's your warning. Um, but it's to drive home a, 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 what I believe is an, a, a quintessential point. We would never say to any of our other students with neurologically based disorders that they need to do something, you know, 10% less. You know, our child with um, cerebral palsy, you need to be 30% less ataxic, um, have less ataxic muscle movements during your day. Um, we would never say to them, you know, you must have fluent walking. That's the right way. And so I'm trying to drive home a point that we're talking about neurologically based issues and that um, it's not realistic to set a bar of what we want to hear. It's about what this child is able to do and accepting 
that stuttering is a part of their speech. Okay. And we're talking about school age today. And I want to make that disclaimer. You know, when I go and speak, school age and, and early childhood therapy are vastly different from each other. They have some crossovers in assessment and some parts of the treatment. But just like, you know, the therapy is different for these two uh, age ranges, what I'm talking about um, in some of the specifics that we'll be going through are really about school age kids. But but the the acceptance piece that I'm talking about first that that transcends everything. It is okay to stutter. All of it, not just some of it, not just 2% of it, not just 5% of it, but it has to be okay bottom line. That's our inform of our therapy that it is okay to stutter. Um, and I think that if we as professionals can decrease that stigma around stuttering by what we do and what we say and how we present um, information about stuttering to our students and families and teachers, I think we can do a lot of good to decrease bullying because bullying obviously is surrounded by stigma, that something is wrong with our, ch our children who stutter. And it's not. It's natural and normal for children who stutter to stutter. Oh my goodness, so many good quotes in here. I'm like scribbling away like crazy. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, so I I just want to recap a couple of them. I know we have four more um, items mm -hmm. in terms of our role in decreasing the impact of stuttering, but this is too good to not unpack a little more. Um, so the most important thing that we can do to minimize bullying is to overarchingly change the message surrounding stuttering, which is amazing. And some of the other takeaways under that is fluent speech is not a gold standard of communication. Mm. Um, we can help students communicate in an easier way, and that's the goal. Mm -hmm. And again, emphasizing that point, it's okay to stutter, all of it. And so <laughs> that, I think... If that can be, like, I feel like we need posters of these and just put them around our speech rooms um, because that is, that I think that, yeah, that just encapsulates so much of what I've learned from you. And I thought that was incredibly helpful. So thank you. Oh, thank you for that recap. And, and I'm glad those messages came out because, you know, it really, we have many things to do in therapy. So it's not like it's okay to stutter. You don't need therapy. Um, it's, you know, we have to begin and end with acceptance. If we begin and end with the idea of acceptance and not tolerance, because I believe the word tolerance is a slight. It's like, you know, the word tolerance, like I have to tolerate that. That just means something's icky, but I'm just going to be, you know, it, I'm just going to be okay with it. No, I mean, accept full on acceptance. And when we begin and end with that, we can also meet our students where they are. We can help them learn to communicate easier and with less struggle. But all through the idea of everything we do in therapy, um, the underlying um, drive for us and what informs our therapy is acceptance. Yeah, I love that. And I really like, because sometimes you might, like I think some SLPs might be thinking, 
well, if we kind of like you alluded to, if we're accepting it, then why are we working on it? But the goal <laughs> is to help students communicate more easily because it's not easy to communicate when that's happening. And it's okay to stutter, but we want to make it easier for them. Exactly. Exactly. You've got it. And and the idea, so, you know, that message makeover is number one. And then mm-hmm. these other things um, that can help minimize bullying. Okay. You know, cause we're not, I wish we had, you know, two more hours and we'd get into actual the therapy stuff. Right. Um, you know, oh with the, God. with the techniques and all of that and how do you manage that? If it's okay to give a kid a technique, of course it is, but you know, not because so that they won't stutter. Like we don't give them techniques so they won't stutter. We give them techniques to communicate easier. And that's the mess yeah. part of the message makeover. And so, um, you know, we could, I wish we had more time, but, you know, once we get um, that idea and start formulating um, from there, I think when we focus on facts, that's number two, is to focus on facts to help decrease, um, to help minimize bullying for children who stutter, is that we get really informed about the facts about stuttering and then we give it. We, we, we help our kids understand the facts at their levels of readiness and cognitive abilities, because once you get to know what's going on with stuttering as a person who stutters, it can help to decrease those negative affective or reactions, the thoughts or the feelings around communication. And it really, you know, when you learn the science of stuttering and the history of stuttering at whatever, you know, age level you can, um, you know, as therapists, we adapt that through the age levels, but even little kids can learn some of these things and make it less mystery filled or quotes, air quotes, weird that stuttering happens. And then that shores them up for being able to handle reactions from other people. Um, when, When my kids learn to, you know, understand about their own communication struggles, they can matter-of-factly talk to other people about it. You know, it's like, oh yeah, I stutter sometimes. That's the way I talk sometimes. That's stuttering. And it becomes more of a matter-of-fact. I always tell my students, listeners will take their cues from you. You know, when you come into the space as okay with yourself and some stuttering, then you're going to give off the idea that you can't be targeted. You know, bring it on, dude. It's just stuttering. I don't know what your deal is. I'm sorry. That was my little, I work with a lot of adolescents. but um. I love that. And it's so true. Like this could apply. You could replace stuttering with any other thing that anyone has going on, like even as adults. Yeah. Um, So I think that's, such an important lesson and if that's something that we can share with our students Mm -hmm. like that that's amazing yeah thank you so much for breaking that down yeah so the facts are important and when we focus on facts then the kids can help other people understand those facts and number three would be moving them into response readiness you know, sorry for all the alliteration, but I, these are, these are things that help me remember stuff. So um, number three would be response readiness. So that would be, um, you know, helping a child who stutters understand bullying, you know, the way we've kind of described it today. And that's why, you know, in our, 
in our bundle that we created, we have a workbook for students and one for parents, one for teachers and administrators, and of course the guide for SLPs to walk everybody through this. Because understanding the difference between a curious comment and a bully comment um, helps students who stutter, you know, learn you know, pick their battles and what is what. And when they learn to understand bullying, they can start to develop sort of a trove of responses that make sense to them. So we're going to help kids get ready to respond, whatever that looks like, whatever is appropriate in that moment. But they need someone to, to, you know, brainstorm with them. That's us to coach them and say, well, how did that work? And do you want to change that a little bit? Or does that make sense? Because some of the things that people say you should do in the bullying literature, general bullying, is to tell them about things. Well, that's great. But I'm a kid who stutters. In this moment of being bullied, do you really expect me to give this bully information about stuttering? Are you kidding me? I just, I'm getting bullied because I just stuttered and you want me to have a conversation. You know, I'm not sure a lot of my students would be willing to do that. They might be able to master a couple of sentences or, you know, but they have to sort of come up with what's good for them. And they have to come up with a lot of different responses that make sense in different ways. So, you know, brainstorming and getting a menu going and uh, Bill Murphy talked about making a movie, kind of role playing how you would react if somebody, you know, said this or that or did this or that. It helps prepare kids to do this on their own. But we are there as their coaches. I love that. And as you were talking through that, I was trying to think of how I would, like if I was a child who stuttered and how, like what responses I would add to um, just to my little menu of, or big menu of responses <laughs> potentially. And it's so interesting. Like, do you have any favorites that you've come across over the years? Well, thank you for asking, because yes, I do. Um, <laughs> well, my number one favorite thing to do is to start a list of the difference between curious and bullying, um, because kids are going to get asked about their speech sometimes in in ways like, oh, why do you talk like that? Why do you go, uh, uh, uh? Now, is that a bullying thing? Could be. Depends on how sensitive the child who stutters feels at that moment. But if they can start to say to themselves and help, you know, sort of digest, is this some person trying to be mean right now? And am I feeling attacked? Or is this somebody who's curious and I can give them information? Um, short bits of information <laughs> that help me. Um, so we, we start we start there. Um, and then I like to brainstorm as a group, get everybody, you know, here are some things I think are good ideas. You know, we read from books and there's lots of books out there, concept books um, about bullying and teasing um, just in general. And you can get some information from that, you know, usually written by psychologists, but um, you can get those ideas and get them all on paper and let the child see that menu. The child comes up with ideas, the parents, maybe um, a sibling or a peer can come up with ideas and then have the child be able to choose. Um, one that um, has worked for me with 
certain kids um, uh, is is more like the the look we call it the look and I know we're not on a video cast but it's like you kind of just give them the look like really it's that really look like really you know and then or walk away with attitude not just walk away because we have to make sure we're not walking away going you know in our in our heads oh he's right I'm I can't talk this is so weird you know but more like um, walking away with that attitude like I do not you do not deserve my time that is so egregious what you just did is so mean I'm not even going to get involved with you and then there's other things there's so many um, you know uh, I have a lot of adolescent boys who just look at them and go dude really um, or wow so not cool you know it depends on their lingo uh, I let them pick um, it's the idea of so not cool, although I think that's rather dated. I let them pick their own ideas. But the idea is to not overly engage in that moment all the time. You have to pick and choose when you can engage and when it's time to um, not give the person what they want. And studies will tell you, I mean, research shows us that bullies feed they call it the need to feed bullies feed on reaction and so if you if you can find a way to respond to a bully in a way that helps you and doesn't feed them then that's the balance yeah that is so key i love that um and the one of the things that I really like, like if that, if the child who stutters has a friend, like, I don't know, I haven't actually had this discussion, like with a child who stutters and one of their peers, but if they can enlist their, their peers to help, like, hey, next time Johnny says this, can you help me? And maybe they can come up with a way to, and I know that can get tricky with adolescents. I'm curious if you've ever done that, because it would be even more powerful if the peer who doesn't stutter says, wow, so not cool. Mm, exactly. It agrees or says it first. And I have done that. And that's that, that's that part where you get the bystanders involved. That's what we wrote a lot in those books um, about is because, you know, it would be bring a friend to speech day and maybe that right. would be a topic. And we would talk about, well, how would you respond if someone said that, you know, I would be the, the bully and I would, you know, say, you know, um, use a Bill Murphy quote, you know, stutterhead, stutterhead, and, um, and see what we would role play, you know, like what might be a way to respond and how would you support your friend in this moment. But we have to be very careful to not enable the young child who stutters to rely on other people to take care of this for them. But, you know, so we balance it as this is your support system while we're shoring you up to handle these things on your own in your future. Um, because we don't want parents always swooping in. We want parents and teachers swooping in if there's, you know, when it gets to that, if there's any kind of level here that is just so egregious or egregious enough to warrant that. But we also want parents and teachers to be involved in it while bringing the child along in understanding how they want to handle it and whether it'll help or harm. Because I think we all have 
we may all, I'm just going to say I have uh, moments from my adolescence where my mom got involved in something and it was like worse because she got involved. And so it would have been much better if we would have figured out a way for her to help me and support me in finding a way to handle that, um, maybe with teacher or principal support. So it's a, it's a balance, and that's why people write books on this, and that's why there's resources on this all over the place, is because um, when it, you know, we're not counselors, but when it comes to communication disorders, this is our scope of practice, and we need to be ready to be part of that support system. Yeah, that is such a helpful recap of that. And I love that, like, that's such a helpful perspective, too, that we can maybe enlist the friends in the beginning, Mm -hmm. um, but that we really want to empower the child or student who stutters to have those skills to defend themselves because they won't always have a friend. Mm -hmm. Um, And I definitely agree that sometimes having teachers and parents (laughs) intervene just makes it worse because like you said, all of those contexts where the teachers and parents aren't like in the bathrooms and the lunchroom and all of, and the bus, like I think that sometimes just makes it get worse. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's really a really good reminder there. Yeah. And, you know, as you said, each, uh, each, each situation is so individualized. There is no right or wrong answer to any of this. There's no one way to do it. Parents and teachers are not always worse. You know, Um, sometimes it's absolutely imperative, um, but it's the how. It's not always the if to get others involved. It's the how. And then it's how long. Because like I said, you know, you want to make sure that we're empowering that child. and, and I think that's a great segue to um, number four, which is to shore up support systems. And that brings in our parents, our teachers, our peers, and by the way, our siblings of kids who stutter, because those siblings are sometimes really great advocates for their siblings, and sometimes they're the ones doing the bullying. Um, I have a wonderful saying that I don't know who I learned from, but your siblings know where your buttons are because they install them. And I think that's an amazing way to think about it. You know, sometimes siblings know how to get you. And so they can actually be part of a problem. So we have to be very, um, very good detectives about where is this child having the most trouble with negative reactions to their stuttering or ignorant reactions to their stuttering. And then we're going to, pardon me, rally the support systems um, around this child. Okay, perfect. And then did you have some information to share with us about rallying those support systems or should we jump to number five? I absolutely do. Um, You know, uh, just as a part of being in the public schools, I, what I find wonderful is that, you know, even if the parent isn't as easily accessible, the lots of times the siblings are, and for sure their peers are and their teachers are. And this is where these children spend 180 days 
like six hours a day. And these are very big parts of their communication environment. So we have to get people at least in the same book about stuttering, if not on the same page. And that goes back to the message makeover and focusing on the facts <laughs> and preparing child to children to be ready to respond to um, inappropriate, um, albeit sometimes not mean, but inappropriate responses to their stuttering. And by getting involved with those people in the child's environment and helping them understand stuttering and understand what is appropriate um, to, you know, to discuss or not discuss, you know, you know, not, let's just, let's just give you this um, one. Um, I had a teacher I was working with and we were getting the child to, um, get ready for a class presentation. And this was months and months and months of work because the child had been um, getting out of all the presentations, not because the speech therapist said it was a good idea, but because the teacher just didn't want, didn't want to make the child nervous. So that loving, wonderful teacher was putting um, the wrong, you know, lowering expectations for this child who stutters. And in turn, the child who stutters wasn't getting ready to to speak like the other kids in class. And so we were working on this and the child eventually got to do their presentation in class. And um, the goal was to, to talk the way you talk and not, you know, to let your stutters roll. Um, the child wanted to learn, use pausing. So that was one of his goals. And then the teacher came up afterwards and, and said to the child, oh, that was so good. You didn't stutter once. And so there was this moment where all of the work that we had been doing about letting you be okay with how you talk came unraveling. Inadvertently, the teacher had um, focused on fluency <laughs> and, and congratulated on fluency instead of congratulated on the risk for you know, getting up in front of the class and the risk of being maybe singled out by your classmates. And so shoring up those support systems meant that that teacher needed me and the child to help her understand, you know, what that child needed at that time, which was not to think about how he was talking, but the fact that he was. So that sort of transcends all those areas. Um, and the last thing I want to say about support systems is, it's very, um, it's a very big part of my career with kids who stutter to get them involved with support organizations outside of therapy, in whatever way that looks. You know, um, the you know being on a Facebook page or being part of an Instagram page for like the National Stuttering Association, and um, or attending. Um, a chapter meeting of a kids group or a teen group, um, going to um, a friends conference or an NSA conference, or, um, you know, there's many, uh, and I can send you, you know, lots of, you know, say, and the British Stammering Association has an amazing new initiative. And whatever that looks like for a child to be more involved with people who stutter and have families be more involved with families of people who stutter because that's where the experiential learning is just as much if not more important 
than anything you learn in therapy. <laughs> it's I'm okay and it's okay to stutter and these people are successful and everybody's doing their thing and I can achieve whatever I want. And that comes from uh, at least being connected to some type of organization or, um, you know, a resource out there. I love those suggestions. So incredibly helpful. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about the fifth strategy that we can use? I can. Um, you know, this um, leads us nicely um, into the next question, um, which I believe uh, we were going to talk about what others can do. Um, so when, um, you know, we shore up those support systems and then we try to help as speech pathologists, we try to help um, find out about the stakeholders. So we become stakeholder savvy to keep the alliteration going. Um, we want to uh, help to, first of all, find out what do the teachers know? what do the parents know and what do the administrators understand about stuttering in general and about the effects of bullying about stuttering in specific. And so we want to help those stakeholders set a positive communication environment, which means that the school, the home uh, therapy is a safe place. It's a safe space to stutter. It's a safe space to play with your stutter, to learn about stuttering, to complain about your stutter, to all of that stuff, to talk about your experiences of uh, being a child who stutters in, in an academic, in a social environment. Um, again, we're going to help them learn the facts. So our role is to help the teachers learn the facts and, and, and that shores them up to do the more appropriate things in the classroom and be able to handle a lot of things on their own, even though we're in the wings to help. Um, we want teachers and others to, um, to get better at watching for bullying. Um, I'm not sure that, you know, I know that there are initiatives across the country to help teachers um, uh, and administrators and school staff be more um, cognizant that this can be happening and what to look for and how to look for it. And then not only watch out for it, but learn better ways to handle it. Who do I go to if I see, you know, I'm the cafeteria monitor. Who am I supposed to go to if I see this happening? What am I looking for and who do I go to? Or do I try to handle it on my own? And has anybody trained me? <laughs> um, and then to create the support systems within the school setting um, where people can reach out and everyone knows their roles and when to refer. Um, I'm a big believer in when in doubt, refer out. Um, when, it's, when it's past my um, uh, scope of practice, my role, as a speech language pathologist, if it rises to a level um, that is no longer just part of the communication issue, but bigger than that, then I'm referring to the 
school psychologist or the counselors. And um, that's because I know what the support system looks like for this in my district. So that, that stakeholder savvy really helps us figure out how to work together. Because when we all work together um, and have some of the same you know, expectations and goals and, um, and savvy, um, we can really move the needle and make great strides in minimizing bullying for kids who stutter. Yeah. And it's such an amazing picture to think of if like all the things that you described, if those would be happening, that would be (laughs) absolutely amazing. Um, but I know that there's probably some SLPs listening who, are thinking like, wow, that sounds so incredibly amazing. Um, I don't feel like I have any of that at my school. Like what suggestions would you give for an SLP in that situation? Like, what do you think are some, like maybe one or two easy things that they could do to start working towards that goal? Great question. So off the top of my head, um, I'm going to say that if I was starting from scratch again, um, the number one thing that I would want to do is hook up with my administrator's um, team and say, you know what, this, um, I'm going to talk to you about children who stutter right now. And I'm going to talk to you about these statistics that are just really more than I ever understood. And I'm going to say that I'd like to know how how we can start tapping in in the special needs arena to the resources that are already on the ground for, you know, you can't just say zero tolerance without something to back that up. So what is what are the resources on the ground already in, in our district um, or on my campus that I can get um, hooked into? And then how can I help support? Because look, I have this booklet from stuttering, you know, I'm not trying to sell everybody a book, but I'm saying like, here's this booklet from stuttering therapy resources for administrators and teachers. I want you to take a look at this and see if you can meet with me again. It's a little baby read and you can, you know, do it on your lunch hour and I respect your time, but I want to meet with you again and talk about, you know, how can we start to set, um, a safe space. And, and just like you said at the top of this, this isn't really just about stuttering. I don't know about you, but I hope everybody is thinking about their kids with autism and any other challenge that's noticeable and that kids, that kids, especially kids who bully, will hone in on. And so we're making it a safe space to have differences because we all have differences. This isn't just about our kids on our caseload, but the kid, you know, who's not in any specialized services has differences from the other kids sitting across from them. So we, it's just this environment. How can we create this safe space and celebrate our differences? Um, And I would start there. That's where I'd start. Um, I would learn a little bit about, you know, especially one area of my service and use that as the jumping off point. Yeah, that makes so much sense. And that's something that is completely actionable. Um, We, because you already shared those statistics and like maybe 
like if I were going into a school that didn't have anything in place, I might re-listen to some of the statistics you shared, jot down some notes, Mm -hmm. um, and then um, I have that booklet, so I would bring that with me, and we can share the link to it in case anyone else wants to take a look. Mm -hmm. Um, And then just starting that conversation, and like you said, this um, like the booklet focuses on students who stutter, but I really think it could apply across our caseload and across the school as a whole, um, because you're right, we all have differences and it should be a spa- safe space for all of the differences. Um, like I've even had students on my caseload, like just articulation only students have, like if they just have one sound error, they get teased and bullied mm-hmm. for that. Um, so it's just like, it's happening all of the time, unfortunately. Um, and so taking action can have such an amazing impact for so many students. Yeah. And, and I don't want, I don't want anybody listening to this to think I'm adding yet another big project to your already overworked little world. Cause I totally get it and I'm in the trenches and I understand that, you know, we're not going to maybe, maybe or maybe not be the um, bullying guru of our district. So that's why I say go to um, whatever team. If the administration doesn't go for it, then go to the the special ed team, uh, you know, your administrators in special services and see if you can get something going there. But that that's what I mean, though. Go to a team, which means everybody has something to do. It's not, it doesn't fall all on you. You're just bringing something to light that's, that's in the darkness. People do not always understand what we do. Raise your hand if you think that's true. And um, they don't always understand um, what the quiet kid in the back of the room, you know, oh, I never hear him stutter. Well, that's because he's not talking. And why isn't he talking? Because he's afraid to take the risk that, um, he'll be, you know, bullied. Um, you know, there's a, a number of reasons why they don't take the risk, but um, one of them is being singled out and being different at a time in their lives when no one wants to be different. And so, you know, we have to just shine a light on it and then things can happen from there. But, you know, come armed with your statistics and some solutions, you know, like the booklet has solutions. Here are some things you can put in place. A- administrator. Here are some things you can do in your classroom, teacher, mom and dad, when the child, you know, is at home, this, these are things you can do. There's a a booklet for each and every one of those people that I just talked about. And when I say parent, think of, you know, grandparent or whatever caregiver that child has. And, and as a team, as a team, we can find ways to minimize the bullying and to increase that child's ability to effectively deal with bullying that will happen. We can't erase it at this point. So how are we going to shore up our students who stutter to find out they are just fine no matter what anybody else says about their speech? Ooh, that's so good. I just wanted to let that sink in a second. And that's so incredibly helpful. And I also love what you said too, that it doesn't have to be a big giant project that we're taking on. Mm -hmm. We can kind of reach out and get a team together to help us do this. And there's amazing resources out there to make it 
we don't have to start from scratch. There's some, like we've got the research already that we can pull and we've got some guides and um, tools that can help us get that set up. Um, so thank you so much, Nina, for putting this all together. I absolutely love the five-step framework and the alliteration there to help us remember. Um, and I so appreciate the actionable steps that you shared with us. And um, it definitely shows that you've been in the trenches. And um, I'm just so grateful that you shared your wealth of knowledge and experience with us to hopefully be able to impact some students in our own schools and help kind of tackle some of the bullying that's happening. Well, I appreciate you letting me talk about this um, this topic because it's very much a part of our role as therapists and part of our therapy um, uh, planning. Uh, I love the idea of getting kids ready even when it's not happening. Um, so they can, you know, instead of a reaction, it's, um, you know, proactive. And yes. the kids can learn to respond rather than react. And that's always, that's always a much more thoughtful way to do it. Um, do you want me to, do, do you mind if I give a, um, a discount code? Yeah, go for okay. it. Okay. Well, because um, you're wonderful and because we got to a chance to do this, I want to um, have uh, give the opportunity for the listeners to have uh, a 10% discount on stutteringtherapyresources.com. And you'll use the code SLP now. Perfect. Thank you so much. So we can all go grab some of those wonderful resources that you just mentioned. And um, just to make it easy for people, um, if you go to slpnow.com slash 25, you can get links to all of the resources that Nina mentioned. And I'll work on um, tracking down the citations and everything too. Um, but then I'll also link to Nina Reeves' site and her email and where you can find those different resources that we mentioned. Um, so that'll be a really nice hub to access all of the things. Um, so thank you so much, Nina. Thank you so much. You have a wonderful day. Thanks for listening to the SLP Now podcast. This podcast is part of a course offered for continuing education through Speech Therapy PD. So yes, you can earn ASHA CEUs for listening to this podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share with your SLP friends. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast to get the latest episodes sent directly to you. See you next time.